0: Thank you for tuning into the A Champion's Mind podcast. Today I've got a very special guest. We've got Payson McElvin, pro mountain biker for the Orange Seal cycling team. Payson, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Mario.
0: Awesome. So Payson is coming to us from the chilly confines today of Durango, Colorado, where he just finished wrapping up a rather brisk ride in some 17-degree temperatures, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But before we do that, so that you all get to know a little bit more about Payson, Payson, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've been able to accomplish in the sport of mountain biking?
1: Okay, yeah, so I started 2007. I guess I was 14 years old. Grew up in Austin, Texas, and got my start there. Had a handful of good years through so the junior years and U23 years made the national team each year, scored some junior podiums at national championships, uh, made the Pan Ams team, that sort of thing. But then things really kind of turned a corner in 2016, and I had more of a breakout year, I guess. And I guess some of those highlights would be I snagged my first couple of national series podiums, UCI Pro XCT podium finishes. I won the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic, which is a road race, but one of the more traditional, I guess, history road races out there, which was kind of a, a fun, novel race experience. Let's see, won the Mongolia Bike Challenge this year, which is a six-day stage race across Mongolia, which was pretty wild. Yeah, I guess those are a handful that I can think of off the top of my head right now, but it was kind of a year where very few things went wrong, which isn't often the case in bike racing, but It was a darn fun year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it. And those are a handful, but that sounds like a good handful to have. So let's start walking through here, Payson. Can you take us through, was there a point where you started off doing the cycling thing and all of a sudden maybe there was a shift in your mindset in terms of, wow, I want to take this further? I feel like this is what you've made it now. This is a lifestyle choice for you. You're a professional cyclist. This is what you do as a job. Is there a point there where you kind of had to cross the tracks and you started to realize that this was something that was actually within your reach to be able to do?
1: No, (laughs) and I'll explain why. So I guess when I was, I started riding, my dad mountain bike raced when I was very young, too young to even ride a bike of my own. But eventually he got me, into just riding. And those were the Lance Armstrong days, You know, 1999 through 2005. I lived and breathed cycling thanks to that story. And so even though I didn't race yet, I would go out and just on my purple mountain bike that I think was a a good will find. And I think it was actually a women's bike (laughs) uh, that my parents (laughs) got me. But I would go out on our little country road and I would literally wait for day. well, I wouldn't wait, but I would relish days where there was bad weather because those were the days that apparently, you know, Lance just shined the brightest. And I would literally speak aloud with a British accent trying to emulate Phil Liggett and Paul Sherwin and, you know, announce my own little imaginary race. So kind of from those days, I decided that I wanted to be a pro bike racer and i knew i was going to be a pro bike racer at 8 years old <laughs> and then once i finally did get bike racing thanks to some nudging from my dad who realized that if i wanted to be a pro i probably needed to start racing <laughs> um from that day forward i just dedicated myself to it and had a just a steady love that evolved for it and haven't looked back so i guess uh if that answers your question <laughs>
0: Folks, if you're listening to this podcast, and if we stopped right now, we have already received a tremendous amount of wisdom with this point that was just made. Let me explain what just happened right there. Payson is now a pro mountain biker, and that's what he does as a living. But those of you listening, myself included, do we not understand that that became a reality because of the reality that he created before it was even a reality. And I know I'm using the word reality a lot, and some of you guys may be confused right now, but understand what happened at the age of eight years old. Payson was already seeing himself in the role in which he currently is. For those of you that believe in luck, for those of you that believe that certain people just have it, he was eight years old, talking like a Phil Liggett, Paul Sherwin with the British accent, I can I can picture that now. That's probably that was probably pretty fun for you. And all of a sudden it happens, but if Payson doesn't tell us his story, so many people would run and say, You've gotten to where you've gotten because you're talented, because you have good sponsors or whatever. And it's not that. This started as a seed that was grounded in passion and desire and was watered by Payson along with, we're going to get into this next question, along with support from other people. But if we get nothing else, folks, realize this path was intentional. It may not have been the path he envisioned for himself. It may have taken him longer than he thought or what have you, but he knew the path before the path was even a path, and he made it step by step. But anyhow, don't want to waste too much time on that. Payson, that is some great insight, man. I love that. That's, that stuff fires me up, man. So, all right, let's talk about, because I love to throw this question in there, because so many folks, oh, the hip-hop industry specifically, you know, they talk about being self-made. Everybody's self-made. Everybody gets to the money on their own. Everybody gets the status on their own. And, hey, let me tell you something. That is absolutely not true. We all need support from people. So, Payson, who were the people that were supportive of you when you began embarking upon this journey?
1: Oh, man. I mean, to go through all the names and all the just all the individuals that helped give me a little push, whether it was once or whether it was every day, like my family, that would take hours to go through it all to give everyone credit. But first and foremost, obviously, my family, my dad, my dad is the hardest working, toughest person I know. And I try from an early age, I tried to emulate that and just find that within myself. He was my first and still is my greatest hero for sure. There were so many folks at different times. I started out riding for the bicycle sports shop team. So folks like Hill Abel were enormous in helping me along. And he gave me support that a 15-year-old didn't deserve, but he did it out of the goodness of his heart. And then this one's a little bit more contentious potentially, and I've been cautious lately about it. But I'm just going to go ahead and come out with it. Lance Armstrong has been a supporter over the years from afar. You know, at first, he didn't know who I was, and I was just copying him on the roads. But eventually, uh, just through mutual connections in the Austin area, we got to know each other a little bit, and um, I guess from from 14 or 15 years old, he had this big ranch out in Dripping Springs near where I lived, and the nearest trails to me were half hour away, 45 minutes away to train on. And he ended up giving me the gate codes to his ranch because he had the best trails in the area. And so, up until a couple years ago, I'd only met the guy two or three times, and yet he saw this or knew of this young rider who had these aspirations and he was willing to give me a helping hand in that way, which was cool. And we don't need to to dwell on that so much, but man, there are so many folks. I mean, once I got here to Durango, I was pretty intimidated at first because Durango is so it's on this pedestal in terms of professional cycling and particularly professional mountain bike racing. And so I was intimidated. All the Olympians, world champions, they all lived here at one time or live here now or retired and living here. And I was just blown away with how warm the welcome was, how many opportunities were offered to me by Ned and Travis Brown, my best buddy, Howard Groth, who went to the Rio Olympics. We trained together frequently, and I learned tons from him. My girlfriend now, Jenna, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. My coach, Christian Williams of Williams Racing Academy, who I've been with since I was 15 years old, I guess. I mean, you, Mario, we can go over how you've helped me. I don't think it's uncommon that there's just hundreds upon hundreds of people that played a role.
0: Yeah, that's neat. And just knowing Payson on a personal level, I can tell you that he does a really good job of making sure that those folks that have been supportive of him know it and they feel it in a very genuine way. And that's important. That's important. It's important to show gratefulness for folks that have helped you along your journey because that helps fuel you and it helps motivate you as well. It's always better to give than to receive. And so when you receive, your natural instinct should be to give. And Payson does that. And it just goes cyclical. It's kind of a cycle that where everybody just keeps scratching each other's back and therefore... Nobody's back ever itches for very long. So that's great. And I know that we had more time. I'm sure that you could go through several more people that have supported you. It's just fantastic that you've got that support system. And that's great. I do want to talk about the ugly other side, though. And the ugly other side is this. People that aren't Supportive, and here's Payson, and Payson's walking around, and you got this vision for your life and the way that you're gonna live it, and and the level that you're gonna get to in mountain biking. And then there's some folks that were probably thinking, Payson, I, I don't think you're gonna make it, or look at these results, they're not pointing towards any kind of movement, maybe upward trajectory to where you need to be. So my question is, how have you been able to, and probably still currently are? dealing with these folks that they're just they're negative they're kind of ugly people and they're just not but they're around and so we don't live in isolation how do you deal with these kinds of folks
1: yeah i mean those do exist luckily they're few and far between and while we talked about this vision i've had and the self-belief and everything the most critical voice has certainly been my own at times where you're looking at past results and looking at where you want to be, and it's just not really clicking, or maybe there is an upward trajectory, but it's just not fast. And the thing that I just always go back to is the love of it day to day and the process. I think that's that's so key. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. If you don't love it on a daily basis, you're just not going to make it. It's just it's too hard. I mean, you can't, money isn't going to motivate you. You, you. It doesn't matter if you're, you're the best in the world. I mean, cyclists are still so grossly underpaid for how hard the job is. And so it's just the, the fact that I love the training, I love the travel, uh, and I love the racing. And so even if other folks are being critical of me or I'm being critical of me, I just like to go out and push myself see improvement, and work hard, and that's just kind of what I always go back to.
0: Fantastic. I haven't done a ton of interviews, but I've asked that question on every interview that I've done, and I haven't had one person give me the answer that stands in front of all of us that is just so obvious, and you, man, you said, I'm my biggest... Critic, I'm the biggest one. I'm the biggest hater I've got, right? Like, I'm the one that tries to knock myself down the most. That is, wow. Again, I hadn't had anybody say that, but that's absolutely true. I mean, if you had to list your 10 biggest enemies, if your name isn't number one on that list, you are flat out lying to yourself. And Mm. great, great sound advice there. Again, there's a big point number two coming at you here for this one is... We are our biggest enemy, and our voice is usually the one that's the loudest, and it's usually the one that is the most negative. So I love that you said that. We've got to be careful. We've got to turn the volume down on that, and we've got to eventually get to the place where we can shut that out, and we can have and we can listen to more of the people that are supportive of us and, you know, work on our self-image so that that hater inside of us slowly we can suffocate it, and it doesn't come around as often. I wish I could say that it will never come around, but that's just not true. I had somebody once tell me, never use the words always and never, so we can't say it'll never be back, but we can have it come around less and deal with it better. Talk about the process. Uh, So the next question I was going to ask is, like, what have you learned thus far in your journey like getting to the professional ranks and then being there, like what are some of the lessons that you've learned? And maybe just breaking down the process a little bit more for those folks that are listening.
1: Well, I guess one thing is it's not glamorous. (laughs) You know, (laughs) folks, uh, me included, when I was a junior, you know, a lot of the things that attracted me to it was uh, I was going to win the Tour de France, And I was going to win the mountain bike world championships. I was going to win an Olympic gold medal or a few. I was going to get paid a lot of money. I was going to drive nice, fast cars. These are all things that were going to (laughs) happen. Hey, they may still happen, but the hard work will always be there. And I kind of had the idea that that would be the case early on. But once you get into the pro ranks where it's legitimately your job, it's so blue collar, man. We're not, I don't want to knock other industries here, but we're not actors and actresses. We're construction workers. We're day laborers. Mm. It is hard. We talked a little bit about my ride this morning where I, I have a double day today. And to get that done, I had to be out the door early. And it was 17 degrees. And it just kind of <laughs> is what it is. And and you work with the grain and just have that kind of blue collar attitude. And I kind of mentioned earlier how some of the best guys in the world who are earning over a million dollars or whatever, they're working really hard too. They're working just as hard or harder not for the money. <laughs> you just can't do it for the money. And you can't even necessarily do it for the wins, I don't think either. It's got to be something even deeper than that. Because if you only did it for the race day success, Every athlete knows you go through those periods of time where the success just isn't coming, whether it's bad luck or just the form isn't quite there, whatever it is. And you've got to have that, that grittiness to get through those periods of time. You've got to have some sort of intrinsic motivation that I'll admit probably is more extreme than the average person would have. And most folks wouldn't think it's fun. But that's okay. Not everyone wants to be a pro cyclist, so.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. To add on to that, your level of intrinsic motivation determines your level of success. Period. Yeah. Your level of intrinsic motivation determines your level of success. You can be an architect with a tremendous level of intrinsic motivation to be a good architect, and you will be a fantastic architect and meet with plenty of success. <laughs> But before I forget, I do want to share a little funny something. Before Payson and I, before we jumped on to do this interview, I saw the snap. Or no, it was on Instagram. Sorry. It was on Instagram. And Payson put out the video of 17 degrees. And his caption was, or his text in his Instagram story was, so you want to be a pro cyclist. And he shows the road that he's about to ride on that's kind of, it looked like it was glazed over and a little bit slick and it was 17 degrees, and I said, I replied back to that, and I said, Payson, I need you to make sure that you're thawed out before we get on this interview, and he responded back to me, and he said, I'm doing okay. I think I'll be ready. I'm regaining my ability to walk, period. (laughs) Now, if that's glamorous, sign me up, and he's got another one to do. This afternoon, like you said, he's got another two hours to do, and the high is only 34. So, okay, take the 17 and double it. It's still going to be chilly out there. Yeah. But he's absolutely right. The motivation has to come from within. As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw you guys out a little book here in case you guys want to read it. It's a book called Drive, and it's written by a guy named Daniel Pink. Got a lot of research in there, and what a lot of the research says is that money is a terrible motivator. That actually, if you take an artist and you allow them to paint for free, and you take an artist and you give them a lot of money to paint, their creativity actually goes down when you actually pay them. And I know that society, culturally, we're stuck in the money is king thing, but it's not. It's the same thing with results. Think about it. You have a cyclist who begins to achieve some success. And what begins to happen? You start finding them doing more coffee shop rides, and you start finding them working less on their craft. The nuts and bolts of the process begin to fall by the wayside, because that person has achieved just a tiny bit of success. And before you know it, you've got the young, hungry upstart that absolutely pummels them in races, and that athlete now has to have a gut check, which normally comes in the fact of, I need to get back to my roots so just to throw a, just to go a little bit deeper in cycling here you've got all these guys like a Chris Froome like a Brad Wiggins like a Lance Armstrong back in the day they Lance Armstrong was the one that started the whole like I'm gonna go be a hermit and I don't want any contact with humans and I'm just gonna train my butt off up in the mountains to get ready for the tour why did he do that because nobody's up there watching. This was before social media even existed. I mean, we don't know what all kind of training rides he was doing. We have a couple of them. There's one of a Nike commercial I remember that was crazy. But because he said to himself, I need to take out all distractions so that I make sure that I am fully invested in the process of getting ready for that tour. And then when he gets to the tour, he had a fitness level that allowed him to be rise to the top. And so we'll land that plane there. But that is a good example of investing in the process. Regardless of what we, everything else that we now know about Lance Armstrong, there is something there that you can still learn from him that I believe is valuable. So moving forward, let's talk about what role do you feel, Payson, mental or your mindset plays in performance?
1: Actually, I'm going to rewind real quick and just make one more related okay. point to the last thing we talked about just because I think it might help folks. I think a common misconception is that you have to have a certain level of talent uh, to be a, a pro cyclist or a pro athlete. And I don't want to harp on like my own toughness or, or whatever, but I just really think it's true that anyone can be a professional cyclist. Anyone can be with, it, with certain limits. I mean, you can't be a professional basketball player if you're five foot two. But on the cycling side of things, I truly believe that anyone. Any able-bodied person can be a professional cyclist. And then talent is probably what determines how far you go within those professional ranks. But it, it's not its the talent that makes you a professional cyclist. It's who's willing to, to put the work in. Anyway, fast-forwarding. Your question was what what mindset? Sorry, remind me. What yeah, hold,
0: hold on. Before you do that, I'm going to throw something in there. Ladies no. and gentlemen, I did not, and I am not, paying Payson to say that. So I didn't say Payson, make sure you let everybody know that anybody can be a professional cyclist. I didn't pay him to say that. And I know you guys hear stuff like that from me all the time, but you're sitting there going, ah, you know, you're not a professional cyclist. Well, you just heard it from one telling you that anybody can do it. Like trust the man. It's true. You can forge your own path. I love it. Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I hope that you enjoyed part one of our interview with Payson McElvin we've got part two coming up next week so be on the lookout for that in the meantime you can jump on over to the Facebook page utmost performance or you can stay on iTunes search a champion's mind and find some previous episodes of the podcast to hold you over until next week lastly if you want just a one-stop shop where you can grab the videos that I've put up on YouTube podcast episodes or any Facebook posts that I've done, go ahead and jump onto the website, utmostperformance.info. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your day.